to acknowledge him in all of our ways and he will make our path straight and speaking on behalf of myself and maybe someone here or all of us it's the leaning on our own understanding part that gets me into trouble a lot a lot and this next song is an encouragement really to lean in to Jesus to lean into him when our plans don't work out when our uh, when the way that we want to see things go doesn't happen when we're being tested when storms are kind of raging around us we can lean into him and we can trust in him because he never changes his love and his faithfulness never change this is called my hope is you You are, I live my 
should never be forgotten. We should constantly be in a state of remembrance of his gift of grace. God sent his only son to take our place, to bear our penalty, and to die our death. This is mercy. This is love. This is communion. Right now I'm going to ask you to come forward and to get the elements on either side. I'm going to ask this side to come over to my right, this side to my left. And what I'm going to ask is that while you're standing in line to get the elements, that you spend some time reflecting, that you spend some time remembering, that you spend some time repenting and rejoicing of, for what and everything that Jesus has done for you and for I. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to get the elements, and then you'll have a seat, and then I'm going to lead us in, the, in a prayer and the Lord's Supper together. So go ahead and come forward at this time. I'd like to lead us right now in a special prayer to help prepare our hearts for communion. Lord Jesus, we bow before you in humility and we ask you to examine our hearts today. Show us anything that is not pleasing to you. Reveal any secret pride, any unconfessed sin, any rebellion or unforgiveness that may be hindering our relationship with you. Because our desires, Lord, is to honor you and to please you, and to live for you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and you, sealed by the shedding of my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus, the supreme sacrifice for all of our sin, past, 
present, and future. Because of his blood shed for us and his body given for us, we can be free from the power and the penalty of sin. Thank you for his victory over death. He took the death that we deserve. He took our punishment. And today we remember, we recognize, we rejoice, we repent, we rekindle, and we respond and celebrate the precious gift of life that he gave us, this amazing love. And Lord, these are not just words, but the desire of our heart. So Lord, we thank you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much, Carolyn, and thank you, uh, Linda and Sharon, for serving today as well. I appreciate it so much. We have one more song we're going to do together with you, but before that, will you take a few moments to greet the folks around you? And we'll continue with our worship in just a minute. Alright folks, let's make our way back to our seats. We have one more offering of worship to give to the Lord right now. A song that has become a very, very much a favorite of mine. Because I think that it expresses the heart of many people here. The heart of every follower of Christ. Thank you. 
like nothing new. How could I express all my gratitude? I could sing these songs as I often do. Every song must end, and you never do. I'm nothing. 
preacher. Lord, with gratitude we sing hallelujah. You are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of our devotion. And we have much to be grateful for. You are the giver of all good gifts. And we praise you for that and for so many things. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, sir. All right. I didn't catch my cue. I was supposed to come up while he was praying. That's okay. Y'all still with me? Okay. Awesome. All right. Um, I want to do something. Um, you know, last night I actually uh, preached this message. I uh, actually took a little video of it, kind of a just-in-case message. And, uh, and so last night's message may be better than today. I don't know. But but I thought, you know, last night I, I was kind of thinking about some things, and I was kind of, uh, my brain was just kind of going to different parts of the message. And there were a couple of things I felt like I needed to do differently. And, uh, Luis, I'm going to read two texts of Scripture before I get into the outline today, okay? So this is not going to be on your screen, but it is in your Bible, all right? Uh, but I want to read for you two texts of Scripture uh, that I think are significant and important, and... Uh, and, and I hope it will become real clear as we, as we go through today's message. The first one is in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And uh, really, really interesting. When, when Paul writes to these people, he refers to them as being saints. Now, when you think of a saint, what comes to your mind? No, not New Orleans saints, okay? So when you think of a saint, what comes to your mind? You think about, I don't know, you think about some person who's like really, really holy, you know? Is that what you kind of think of? By the way, the word saint, the, the, the Greek word is hagias, and that's what it means. It means someone who's, who's holy. And it's very interesting. When Paul writes to the Corinthians, he calls them saints. He calls them those who are holy. Uh, that's really interesting because I'm going to read to you a text of Scripture that lets you know what the character of these holy people was like. Okay, This is the actual character of people uh, that Paul called, called holy. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3... Uh, and I'm just going to read, uh, let's see, verse 1 down through the middle part of verse 3. Uh, Paul writes, he says, brothers and sisters, okay, because that's what we are as a church. We're, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. But he's not calling them hag- the hagios here. He's not calling them saints here. But brothers and sisters. Anybody have an annoying brother or sister? Don't raise your hand, all right? Especially if they're here with you, okay? Uh, so, brothers and sisters, I, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit. Yeah, that's kind of an ouch. He's saying, you guys, you're not very spiritual. You know, you're not very spiritual. Um, by the way, they first heard the gospel about five years before this teaching from Paul. These are people who've known the Word of God for five years... And they're not doing a great job of following Jesus. He says, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. See, these are people who should be spiritually mature, but they're still acting like baby Christians. I I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, uh, are you not worldly? They were a very, very worldly, immature group of Christians. 
Another text of Scripture I want to read for you in just a moment is in Hebrews chapter 5. This is a little bit longer, but in Hebrews chapter 5, beginning in verse 11, I'm just going to read down to the end of the chapter. Uh, And the author of Hebrews, he's writing to these early Jewish Christians, and he says to them, he says, we have much to say about this. Now, what's he talking about there? Real quick, I'm not going to go into this a lot, but he's talking about the priesthood of Jesus. That he was not a descendant of Aaron, but he was still, still our high priest. He says, we have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, at this time, in fact, uh, though by this time, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. He's saying, you guys, you guys should actually be teachers now. You should, at some point, you need to progress from being taught to one who teaches. Now, that doesn't mean you're supposed to be the pastor of a church. But the mark of following Jesus is maturity. It is maturity, spiritual maturity, and actually being able to teach other, other people uh, what the Scriptures say and what the Scriptures mean. Verse 13, he says this, Um. Well, let me back up verse 12. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, who lives on milk? Babies live on milk. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who, have, who by constant use have trained themselves Did you hear that? Did you hear what he said? Uh, But solid food is for the mature. People who have, uh, by constant use, people who have, by constant use of the Scriptures, have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. See, there comes a point in time in a person's life. And it should not be decades after you become a Christian. It shouldn't be decades after you become a Christian. When Paul was writing to the Corinthians, they had only heard the gospel about five years before this. There comes a point in time where there's supposed to be a measure of maturity. Well, why was there all this immaturity among these early Christians? And why is there sometimes a lack of maturity even in the modern-day church? And I'm going to try to answer that for you today. So I just want you to understand is that sometimes people should be further along in their spiritual development than they are. It's kind of like the 40-year-old guy laying on his mother's couch, doesn't have a job, but he's great at video games, saying, Mom! Mom, can you get me some, I don't know, milk and cookies? You know, it's like there comes a point in time where you're supposed to progress towards maturity. And that's what the Scriptures are talking about here. So today what we're doing, and we've been talking about God's purpose for our lives. So far we have said that worship, worship is how we love God. So worship is how you, how I love God. God wants us to love Him with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind. So we talked about this two weeks ago. Our first purpose is to worship. We Worship is how we love God. Last week we talked about fellowship. Fellowship is how we love one another. And today what we're going to talk about is we're going to look at God's third purpose for our lives. 
And so I'm just going to launch into the outline. And uh, I've got a three-point outline, then I've got a six-point outline. Okay? Just telling you up front. All right? If you don't have a copy of the notes, I'd grab some. I think it'll be helpful for you. Uh, today, we're, we're, we're looking at this third purpose. And God's third purpose is this, is, is discipleship. Discipleship is how we become more like Jesus. See, that's what God is really wanting for you and me. Is he was wanting us to become like Jesus. Uh, I, I'm, you know, I guess we could define discipleship in several different ways. This is just my definition. Uh, but discipleship is a life of following Jesus. Meaning that this is something that happens over an entire lifetime. So discipleship is a life of following Jesus and learning to obey him in all things. That's what it means to be a disciple. It means following Jesus, learning to obey him in all things. In Matthew chapter 28, and this is not in in your outline, but I'll just tell you real quick. In Matthew 28, uh, verses 19 and 20, uh, uh, Jesus is talking to his disciples. and He tells them this. He says, go therefore and make disciples. He doesn't say make converts. He doesn't say make Christians. He doesn't say make Christians. Most people, you know, if you ask them, you know, you know, are, are, are you a Christian? People are kind of comfortable saying, yes, I'm a Christian. But if you ask them, are you a disciple? People are like, oh, no, no, the disciples, those are the people who followed Jesus a long time ago. By the way, we're supposed to be the people who are following Jesus today. We're supposed to be disciples. We're supposed to actually be following Jesus living the way Jesus would live if he were you and me. And so what Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe, obey all, all. You know what all means? It means all. Teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Not just some, not just our favorite verses that we like to obey, and then the others we just kind of, the ones that we're uncomfortable with, we'll just kind of skip over those and pretend like they're not really there, you know? Discipleship is a life of following Jesus, learning to obey him in all things. In Luke chapter 6, verse 40, um, uh, this is Luke's version of the, of the Sermon on the Mount that we have in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, except that this is a different sermon. It's similar in a lot of different ways, but it's delivered at a different time in a different location. So it's very, very similar, just like if you listen to me preach or teach for a few years, you'll hear me say similar things in more, on more than one occasion. Jesus did that. He went around, preached to different people in different places, but he preached a lot of the same message. And what he says to them is he, he's talking to them, and in the, the, the context of Luke 6, he's talking with them about the importance of not judging other people, not condemning other people, uh, not finding fault with other people. And, and in the middle of all that, this is what Jesus says. He says, a disciple, now some, some, um, some translations of the, the English Bible will call it pupil or student, but basically it's this word disciple. Okay, one who's following Jesus. A disciple is not above his teacher. Who's our teacher? Jesus, right? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. See, you and I, we will never be greater than Jesus, but we're supposed to be like Jesus. Well, like Jesus and what? What, what, what does that mean? What does being like Jesus really mean? And so let me just share with you, and these are some points there in your outline, uh, that God wants us to think like Jesus. 
God wants you, He wants me to think like Jesus. He doesn't want our thinking to be shaped by our news feeds. He wants our thinking to be shaped by Scripture. He wants our thinking to be shaped so it looks the way Jesus would think. He wants us to be like Jesus. He wants us to think like Jesus. He wants us to love like Jesus. He does. He wants us to love like Jesus. Love one another as I have loved you. He wants us to love like Jesus. He wants us to serve like Jesus. He wants us to give like Jesus. And He wants us to live like Jesus. God wants my life... And he wants your life to resemble the life of Jesus. He wants us to look like Jesus in the way we treat other people. This is really important. This is not in your notes. But it is very important. God wants you to be like Jesus in the way you treat other people. God doesn't want you to be like Jesus in the way you treat some people. While other people, you treat them very, very differently. A lack of compassion for those who are suffering is not what it looks like to follow Jesus. So when we think about treating other people the way Jesus would treat them, what kind of people am I talking about? I'm talking about Christians and non-Christians. I'm talking about people who live the way we do, and I'm talking about people who live very different from the way we do. I'm talking about poor people and rich. Jesus loved them both. I'm talking about educated and uneducated. I'm talking about young, you guys get to be the young people today, young and uh, uh, and old, okay? Uh, Powerful and weak. Black and white, okay? Hispanic and Asian. Republican and Democrat. Some of you are going to want to walk across the room, depending upon which one you are. But what God is wanting is he's wanting us to love all people, not just our favorite kind of people, the way Jesus would. Okay? That, that what God wants is he wants us to, um, by, by the way, the way we treat other people is the way you treat Jesus. Jesus said that. Did you know that? He says the way you, re- you treat the poor, the way you treat the hungry, the way you treat the thirsty, the way you treat uh, the, the person in prison, the way you treat people who are sick, Whatever you've done to the least of these, my brothers, you have done unto me. That's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 25. See, if I'm treating a person poorly for whatever reason, maybe it's because I don't like, I don't know, I I, I don't like their position on something that's different from mine. The way I treat that person is the way I'm treating Jesus. Did you know that? I'm supposed to treat all the people around me with love and respect. God wants us to treat people uh, the way uh, Jesus would. But there's more to following Jesus than simply this. We're supposed to live like Jesus in every area of our lives. This means uh, how, and this is in your notes, uh, he wants us to uh, use our time as Jesus would. Okay? He wants me to use my time well. He wants me to use my time as Jesus would. This doesn't mean he always wants me to be in a hurry. That's the way of the world. That's not the way of Jesus. Uh, he wants me to use, uh, he wants us to use our gifts as Jesus would. He wants us to use our money as Jesus would. He wants us to work like Jesus would work. I think Jesus, if you're an employer and Jesus was working for you, he would be your favorite employee. He would. He'd be your favorite employee. 
You'd never have to worry about him stealing or taking something. You'd never have to worry about him being lazy. You'd never have to worry about him being a troublemaker in the workplace. And what God wants for you and me is he wants us to work like Jesus would work. He wants us to be like Jesus in how we think about recreation and entertainment. Okay? That means we need to guard our hearts and minds about the things that we're entertained by. So how do we become more like Jesus? We, we, said, um, we said discipleship is how we become more like Jesus. So how do we become more like Jesus? First of all, becoming more like Jesus is a work of God. So if you ever feel like becoming like Jesus feels impossible to you, that's because it is. It is. On this side of heaven, you're going to be imperfect. I, I'm sorry if that disappoints you, you know, if that surprises you. Uh, but I was talking with your spouses earlier, your kids, your parents, and they told me you're, you're not perfect, okay? None of us are perfect. But, but becoming more like Jesus, this is what we need to understand, is that, that although we cannot make ourselves like Jesus by ourselves, becoming more like Jesus is a work of God. So the second point in your outline. Becoming more like Jesus is a work of God. In Philippians chapter 1, I love this verse. I love this verse because every time I mess up, which rarely ever happens, I had to get the sarcasm in case y'all didn't know. Because every time I mess up, every time I kind of get down on myself, because I do, uh, this word encourages me. Because the, this is what the Bible says in, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. These are not my words. These are the words of God. For I am confident of this very thing, that he, he, meaning God, he who began a good work in you. God has begun, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you've put your hope, your faith in, in Jesus, he has begun to do a good work in your life. Uh, I, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day Christ Jesus. See, He has begun a good work in you. He will never, never, ever give up on you. Uh, uh, you know, other people around you may get frustrated with you, but He is never going to give up on you. He who began a good work in you will carry it through to completion. He will bring it to perfection until the day of Christ Jesus. The day that Jesus comes again. So on this side of heaven, we are all a work in progress. And it is God who's wanting to make you and me become more like Jesus. And he's working through a lot of different kinds of things. So how, what does this look like? What does this look like? In, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, and, and I preached on this text, I don't know, sometime last year, the beginning of of 2022, I think it was. This is 2023, right? Yeah, 2022. So I had to remind myself. So in, in but what, what Paul's writing, and he says, you know, he's talking about how God works in our lives. And, and, and this is what Paul says. He says, so I say, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. There, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. Walk by Him. Don't run out in front of Him. Don't rush ahead of Him. That's not good, Okay. Don't rush out ahead of him. Don't lag behind. Don't drag your feet. Walk by the Spirit. You know what happens when two people are walking by each other? I can tell you what happens in my marriage. A lot of really good things. Joy and I have a lot of great conversations when we're walking side by side. 
And that's what the, the Scripture's talking about here. It says, walk by the Spirit. Walk side by side with the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So when we are walking in step with the Holy Spirit, when we are living in fellowship with the Holy Spirit, we will not carry out the desires of the flesh. And there's, if you go back, read Galatians chapter 5, there's a big long list of all these different kinds of things. And it's, real, it's, it's easy as a Christian to read them and think, oh, I'm not like that, I'm not like that, I'm not like that. And then you kind of skip over the ones you are more like, you know. Uh, but but uh, and what happens when we walk by the Spirit will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And it goes on to say this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. See, as we walk by the Spirit, we're going to see more love in our lives. The fruit of the Spirit is love. It's joy. It's peace. It is patience. It is kindness. It is goodness. It is faithfulness it is gentleness it is self-control and so if you are a believer in jesus and you are walking by the spirit then god is going to make you more like jesus now having said that so what is our part what is our part in all this so i've said to you i've said this that becoming more like jesus is a work of god but you and I also have a work to do. That, that we need to work out, this is point three in your outline, we need to work out God's saving work in our lives. Now, what do I mean by that? What do I mean by that? We need to work out God's saving work in our lives. First of all, let's look at what the, the Bible says, okay? Uh, remember, I was just quoting to you from Philippians chapter 1. I talked about he who began a good work in you will carry it through to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And as, as, as the, the continuation of that thought is being developed, we come to Philippians 2, and it says this. It says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, Paul's talking to the Philippian Christians here, he says, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence while I was with you, but now much more even in my absence. You've been obeying God. They're a very different church from the Corinthian church, Okay. These are people who have actually been obeying God. Therefore, my difference, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out. Now, I would underline that those two words, work out. Because it's not saying work for. Do you understand there's a difference between working out and working for? Continue to work out your salvation. Salvation is the work of God. You don't save yourself. I don't save myself. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, I won't go into that right now. But then, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. I'm going to quote it. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says this. For by grace, you have been saved. Grace, that's God's kindness. His unexpected, extravagant, overwhelming Awesome, beautiful kindness. That's what grace is. For by grace you have been saved. You have been rescued from your sin and and the eternal penalty of eternal separation from God that you deserve. For by grace you have been saved through faith, putting your trust, your hope in Him. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. Salvation is not something that I do for myself. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works. See, it's not my work that saves me. It is the work of God that saves me. Uh, I forgot where I was at. 
that no one should boast. For, but the very next verse says this, but we are his workmanship, and the word workmanship, the Greek word there is poema, where we get our word poem from. We are the special work of God. Uh, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So see, we don't work for our salvation, but we do work out our salvation. And that's what the text says here. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, fear and trembling here doesn't mean the kind of anxious dread you feel when you're surrounded by a pack of Rottweilers and they look incredibly hungry, okay? That's not the kind of fear and trembling we're talking about. But we're talking about this holy, awesome, um, reverence, awe, respect, yes, fear before God. For it is God who works in you. See, God is working in you both to will and to act according to his good pleasure. Our part in discipleship. Let's talk about this. This is where I take one point and I make it six more, okay? So what does it look like to work out our salvation? Number one, discipleship begins, working out our salvation begins, and I'm going to call it discipleship, that process of following Jesus so that you become become more like him. Discipleship begins with denying our sinful self. See, there's a part of your humanity, there's a part of my humanity that doesn't always like submitting to Jesus. How many of you had kids? How many of your kids had brothers and sisters? You ever see your kids and I get along? Yeah, okay? Sometimes we don't do a good job of getting along with each other. When we're not getting along well with each other, it means that we're not submitting and obeying Jesus, all right? Just like little children are not getting along and obeying their parents. Discipleship begins with denying our sinful self, okay? Uh, we cannot say yes to Jesus if we are unwilling to say no to our sinful self. Where do I see this in the Bible? Mark eight thirty four. This last week I was just reading in my, my devotional time, reading through, meditating on uh, Mark chapter 8. And I read these words, and I thought, wow, this fits right into my message. And, and what, 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 what is happening here, uh, it says that Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple, remember the person who's following Jesus so that he becomes more like him, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. That's, that's the, 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 the uh, denying your sinful, the sinful part of your humanity. Uh, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. That, that there's a part of us that has to, we, we have to say no to this part of our sinful humanity. This is exactly, goes back to what we said before in Galatians chapter 5 or 16, where the Bible says, it says, but I say walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. See, the key to being able to, to say no to the sinful self is in saying yes to Jesus. It is in saying yes to the Holy Spirit. It is in keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. And then denying the simple self. The part of our humanity that might want to gossip about another person. The part of our humanity that might envy how God has blessed another person and not have gratitude for how God has blessed you. But we've got to say no. And discipleship following Jesus begins with saying no 
to the simple part of ourselves. Uh, and, and so I said we, we do this by walking in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Um, I'm not going to go into those verses. I'm going to move on. So what does our part in discipleship look like? Number two, discipleship involves reading and meditating on the Word of God. Now, I know some of you are like, well, of course, I expected this. All right? And here's the thing. I've met people who've read the Bible. I've met people who've even studied the Bible. I have met people who have memorized the Bible. And there has been no change in their life. That's not the kind of reading I'm talking about. I'm talking about a different kind of reading. I'm not talking about reading the Bible the way you read your newspaper. Or, well, if you take a newspaper anymore. I'm not talking about reading the Bible the way you, you uh, read your newsfeed. I'm talking about reading in a very, very different kind of way. Uh, in, 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 well, in, in, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, this is not in your slide, but it is, I, I don't know, maybe I didn't put it in your notes. It's in the notes. Uh, in, in, in your notes, I, I wrote this verse, Colossians 3.16. It says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Let the word of Christ make its home in you. See, that's the kind of reading we're talking about. We're talking about the kind of reading that not only can we remember what we read earlier that day, but what we read earlier that day is beginning to make its home in our lives. It let the Word of Christ richly, richly, abundantly dwell in you. Uh, in the book of Psalms, uh, Psalm chapter 1, the psalmist writes this. He says this. He says, uh, how blessed is the man. You hear those words? How blessed is the man? I know that sounds kind of formal. You want to be blessed? You want to be unblessed? No, we all want to be blessed, don't we? How blessed is the man, the person, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Stay away from that. Okay? Stay away from that. Who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. I'm talking about, sometimes I'm talking about our news feeds, quite frankly. Uh, How blessed is a man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Be careful who you're listening to. Be careful who you're listening to. How blessed is a man. He doesn't do any of these things, but this is what he does. Verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. That's the kind of reading I'm talking about it. I'm talking about the kind of reading where you are delighting in what you're reading. If you haven't gotten to that place yet in your reading, that's the place you want to be. Sometimes people, they'll read their Bible and say, I don't understand, and they move on. Or they'll read a devotional instead. I don't think a devotional should ever take the place of God's Word. I don't think the book, The Purpose Driven Life, should take the place of the Word of God. I believe we're actually supposed to delight in the Word of God. I believe we're actually supposed to value it, treasure it, savor it. His delight is in the law of the Lord, the law of the Lord. and in His law He meditates day and night. I love this text from Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 16. In Jeremiah the prophet, he says this, When your words, here, Jeremiah is talking about the Word of God coming to him. When your words came, I ate them. I ate them. I devoured them. I savored them. They were my joy and my heart's delight. That's the kind of reading I'm talking about. 
I'm talking about weeding, weeding to a place of delight. Where you're actually able to rejoice in what you read. I need to move on. Number three. Third way we work out uh, the saving work of God in our lives. The third way that, that we uh, follow the path of discipleship. The discipleship involves prayer. Okay? I, I did a pretty, kind of a long message on this on, on January 1st. So let me not get too bogged down into this. But, but I'm talking here about prayer that isn't just asking God for stuff. The kind of prayer I'm talking about is, is where you are actually present. You are present with God Almighty. Unrushed, unhurried, not thinking about what you're going to do later in the day. Not bored, but in His presence, delighting in Him. I'm talking about prayer as seeking God. I'm talking about prayer as humbling yourself before God. I'm talking about prayer as surrender. Prayer as being fully present with God. Prayer as communion with God. Prayer as delighting in God. Prayer as casting your cares on Him. Praying not just to ask God to do your will for your life, but praying and ask God to do His will in your life. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6 verse 18 says it says this. It says, And pray in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Remember Him? We've been talking about Him a little bit today. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions. On all occasions. Not occasionally, but on all occasions. Uh, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer. There's a lot of different kinds of prayer. In uh, request. With this in mind, be alert. Be alert. By the way, this is a military term. Be alert. If you're in combat and you're not alert, you know what happens? You get killed. You die. All right? With this in mind, be alert. Always keep on praying. Always keep on praying. Never give up. Always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. By the way, our prayers aren't supposed to be all about me. Our prayers are supposed to be, my prayers are supposed to be about you. Well, at the beginning of this year, I asked each of you to fill out one of those three-by-five cards and tell me how you want me to be praying for you this year. That was really helpful for me. Thank you for doing that. And I am praying for you guys, okay? Uh, discipleship involves prayer. Number four, discipleship involves worship. I won't go into this real long today because we talked about it two weeks ago. But discipleship involves worship. Uh, this is in your notes. Uh, it's not going to be on your screen but there's a little statement there with two blanks in it. And, and let me give you what the blanks are. Because some of you don't like ending the service without having every blank complete. There are a few of you like that. I'm not one of those guys, okay? But I know some of you are. So whatever you worship, whatever you worship. And by the way, everybody worships. An atheist worships. He just doesn't worship God. You were created to worship the Creator. And if you're not worshiping your creator, you will worship something else. Whatever you worship is what you become like. Whatever you worship is what you become like. It, it is. I mean, it, it, whatever you worship is going to shape your life, either for good or for bad. Um, in Ephesians chapter 5, uh Paul is writing to this group of Christians. By the way, these Christians were doing really, really well in their walk with Jesus. 
But most of them came out of a background of paganism. And with their paganism, uh, worshiping the pagan gods of, uh, of the Greeks and the Romans, worshiping these pagan gods, they also were involved in a lot of practices that were not healthy and not holy. Okay? He says, let us, uh, he says here, he says, do not get drunk on wine, because in like the worship of Bacchus, part of their worship was you would get drunk. Uh, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And he's saying here, this is what you're supposed to do. Instead of doing this and living a life of intoxication and, and just, uh, you know, a party lifestyle, instead of doing that, be filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Remember, we've been talking about him some today. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is what happens when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Guess what happens? You worship. You worship. You really worship. You will worship like you've never worshipped before. Uh, which, uh, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. You know, I don't know if you've ever done this before. There have been times where I've actually sung worship songs. And my lips were making music. Well, some of you may not agree. But my lips were making music, but my heart was not. I was actually singing that song. This happened a long time ago, okay? It, it didn't it happen like a long, long time ago. I'm just kidding. It, it, it happens a lot, all right? More than I want to admit. You ever sing a song and you're oblivious to the message? You're kind of singing the words, but you're not really thinking about it. You're worshiping without an engaged heart. This is talking about singing, making music from your heart to the Lord. By the way, that's the kind of worship God delights in. Always giving thanks. Being filled with gratitude. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Fifth step, fifth thing. This is what, this is our part in discipleship. Okay, fifth part. Discipleship involves fellowship. And we, already, we talked about this last week. I'm just going to say, don't, discipleship involves fellowship. I, I, I don't think you can really follow Jesus if you're separating yourself from the body of Christ. I just don't think that's possible. Uh, that The Bible says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. See, I need you to spur me on in my walk with Jesus. I need that. You need me and you need other people around you, spurring you on in your walk with Jesus. I, I need people encouraging me, encouraging one another. I need people encouraging me and following Jesus. And other people need you to encourage other people. We need that. And all the more as you see the day of the Lord approaching. So the day of the Lord is coming and... The closer we get to that day, the more important it is for us to do this. Okay? This is what I see in the modern church. People worship corporately less and less instead of more and more. Did you know that? Did you know fewer people attend church today than actually pre-COVID? Did you know that? The medium-sized church in America dropped by about 35% from pre-COVID to post-COVID and has not returned. 
Fewer people are going to church now than ever in our country. Did you know that? And not just in our country, places like Europe. Meanwhile, parts of Africa, parts of South America, they're seeing incredible revival in parts of Asia. Um, Now, fellowship is more than going to church. But you can't have fellowship if you're not gathering together uh, with other believers on a consistent basis. Um, Our part in discipleship, we talked about God's part, our part in discipleship. Discipleship involves, uh, this is a terrible point. This is terribly written, all right? Can I say that? This is a horribly written point. Can, Can we all agree to that? All right, all right, all right, yeah. It's terribly written points. Way too long. Way too long. If I did this at Dallas Seminary, they'd be like, man, you need to start all over again. I'm sorry, I don't know how to say it well without saying it long. Discipleship involves facing trials with joy. Facing trials with joy. Now, some of you are like, well, I don't want to face trials. If, If following Jesus means I need to face trials, then I don't want to follow Jesus. Well, let me tell you this. That's fine. You can say that. But whether you follow Jesus or not, you're going to face trials. All right? You are. You might as well make them count. All right? So, discipleship involves facing trials with complaining. That's what the Bible says. Did you know that? It says you should face your trials with complaining. No, no, no. No, discipleship involves facing trials with joy. Knowing that trials produce perseverance. Perseverance is a good thing. We need people who really persevere in following Jesus. Knowing that trials produce perseverance. And, and letting perseverance finish its work in us. See, perseverance is working in you. It is working in me if we are facing our trials with joy. Perseverance is working in you. Perseverance is working in me if we are facing our trials with joy. And let perseverance finish its work in us. Why? So that we may become mature and complete in Christ. This is what the Bible says. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Consider it pure joy. That's what the Bible says, not me. Consider it pure joy. There's the facing trials with joy. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. See, when I'm going through trials and when you're going through trials... Our faith is being tested. And this testing of our faith produces perseverance. I've learned this in my bike riding and other things. Uh, You know, I remember the first time I tried to ride to the top of Twin Sisters. It's pretty steep. It's about 1,000 feet of climbing. And you do it in about two miles. When you climb 1,000 feet in two miles, by the way, climbing on a bike is a lot harder than climbing when you're walking. Okay? You ride up a steep, steep hill on a bike, it's hard. First time I tried to ride up, I got about a third of the way up, and I thought I was going to vomit. I thought I was going to pass out. I was really glad Micah Gentile was, was with me because he's a, what was he, a nurse practitioner or PA? Okay. So he was a PA, so I had someone there to revive me if my heart stopped beating. All right? I made it about a third of the way up, and I thought I was going to die. That's the way it felt. My, I, could, I could not get enough air in my lungs. And I kept riding up it. And the more I rode up it, eventually I was able to ride to the top. And then eventually I was able to ride to the top and down 
top and down, top and down, three different times, which is something only a few people on Strava have ever done. And, uh, and it was something that, that it was, I, I got tougher, I got stronger as I endured the trial, as I persevered. The Bible says, Consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. See, this is our part in discipleship. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and ask the worship guys to come on back up, please. Um, wow. Discipleship is how we become more like Jesus. That's how I become more like Jesus. That's how you become more like Jesus. Becoming like Jesus is a work of God. That's why we have to walk by the Spirit. But we also have a part in discipleship. We've got to work out our salvation. And our part looks like denying our simple selves, letting God's Word richly dwell within us, praying, worshiping God, fellowshipping with other believers, and facing our trials with joy, and letting perseverance finish its work in us so that we are mature and complete, not lacking anything. Let's pray. God, you are great, you are awesome, and you are good. Lord, we, uh, we desperately need you. Uh, we, cannot, uh, we can't live out what we're talking about here without really walking by your Spirit. And my, I just want to say I'm grateful. Grateful for the gift of your Spirit. Grateful for, that we can, be, we can abide in Jesus and he in us, and that he produces fruit in us. And, Lord, just teach us how to follow you day by day, just beginning today. Help us to just follow you, obeying you today in all that we're doing. And, God, when we mess up, help us to humbly repent and begin afresh, just following you one day at a time. I pray this in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. Thank you very much, Gary. It's hard to believe we are... uh almost, no, actually, we are halfway through um, 40 days of purpose. Yeah. It's been quite a journey. And uh, speaking of that, just a quick reminder, um, you know, we are we have several small groups going on during the week that are focused on the purpose-driven life and reading through it. And if you haven't plugged into one yet, it's not too late. So I invite you before you leave today to check out the list of groups that are on the table by the front door and dive into that. And then before our final song together, we're going to worship God through our giving. And, you know, I'm just, I'm excited about the things that are happening in our church right now. I'm excited about um, our groups, as I mentioned, excited about reading the Purpose Driven Life together and other things. And, And none of this would be possible without your faithful and generous giving. So I want to say thank you for giving to that. Thank you for making... Uh, eternal investments into the lives of people, people who need the Lord and thank you for being a part of of building his kingdom right here in Fairfield. We are very, very grateful. Uh, There are many different ways to give, as you most likely know, and you can find them on our website and on our app, so invite you to check that out. Let's stand together one more time, church. And we're going to declare once more that our hope is in Him. Here we go.